Thank you, Brother Dan. The title of our lesson this morning is Walking Jesus' Way. Our family theme is Walking in Light and Truth. Our objective is that we would uh, live like Christ and confess when we fail to do so. Now, by the way, if we confess, what will Jesus do? He'll forgive us and cleanse. Amen. Our, our, t- our study text is the first chapter of 1 John, all the way to the uh, sixth verse of chapter 2 of John's first letter. Three key truths. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, number one. Number two, walking Jesus' way requires holiness and humility. Number three, walking Jesus' way requires ongoing dependence on Him. Under our Bible basic, we're encouraged to uh, memorize this week, uh, 1 John 4.16, and I have it printed out before me, and John said, we know and we have known and believed the love of God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. Now, before we uh, begin our lesson today, before we go to uh, get started, uh, first of all, how it fits, uh, John, of course, the one who wrote Revelation, the Gospel of John, wrote these three letters. And uh, by this time, Jerusalem had been destroyed. Uh, Christians had been dispersed all over the world. Uh, uh, and, of course, a lot of Jewish Christians as well. And John probably wrote this letter uh, toward the end of his life, around A.D. or 90 A.D. in that period of time. But here's what I want you to realize as we get into 1 John. Uh, John, 1 John is really a letter to help us with the assurance of our salvation. What do we mean when we, th- when we talk about assurance of salvation? What does that mean? Amen. Knowing that we're saved beyond a shadow of a doubt. And John shows us how we can do that, and we'll be talking a little bit about that today. Let's go ahead and move on to our get started. Um, which do you have more confidence in, a second-hand account or an eyewitness account? Okay, when you said eyewitness, why is that? Exactly. Now, again, it doesn't mean you don't trust the other people, but the farther away the way it moves away from the original, the less accurate it's going to be. So certainly we would trust an eyewitness account uh, better than anything else. Now, it's interesting, um, and it's getting worse, and it won't get better until Jesus comes. We live in a world where a lot of people aren't sure they can have confidence in God's Word. But we know we can, okay? We know that we can. So today, uh, we're going to find out that John wasn't telling us what somebody else saw. What's he telling us? What he saw. He and the apostles, other apostles, were eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard the phrase, and I know you have, the proof is in the pudding? What does that mean? You can't all speak at one time. I can't make it heads or tails. What does that? What does that mean? Let me help you out here, okay? Now that's really an abbreviated form, if you will, of the original phrase. And the original phrase went like this: "The proof of the pudding is in the eating." 
And what that referred to uh, centuries ago in England, where pudding was sometimes referred to as a form of sausage filled with some kind of minced meat. And so what they filled that sausage skin with was called pudding. And if you wanted to see if it was good or not, what did you have to do? You had to taste it, okay? And so, so uh, again, you got to taste the food. And uh, certainly, I, I can't imagine uh, biting off a big hunk at first, right? You'd be kind of cautious about it, taking, taking a little bit of it. Uh, and you did that for what reason? To find out what? Is it good or not? Is it good or not? Well, we've modified that phrase, and it sort of carries the same uh, connotation today. Uh, and the bottom line is the proof of something can be found when you examine it. And again, you examine the evidence, and you do that to determine whether or not something is true. Now, it's interesting, in this first letter that John wrote here, he tells us and he gives us proof on how we can know whether or not people have a knowledge of Christ as Savior. And John says that proof is in their attitude and how they live. Now, again, a lot of people can claim they belong to Christ, but what does John say? Where's the proof at? How you live. What's your attitude toward Christ? So John is going to clarify some things in his letter. He's going to also make sure we understand some of the false things about uh, what people think about having a, a right relation with God. And John says, look, there's some things that if that's not in their lives, they're not true disciples. But he also says, let me give you some clarity about how to have a relation with Christ and know you have. So we can say early on, the proof is where? It's in the pudding, okay? It is in the pudding. Our first key truth is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that comes from the first four verses of John, 1 John 1, chapter 1. Anybody want to read those first four verses? First John 1, 1 through 4. All right, thank you, Dan. Uh, kind of interesting here. Uh, again, this is John writing a letter. And, of course, it is First John, chapter 1. So it's the beginning of the letter. Do you notice anything different 
in this letter that we see in other letters in the New Testament? What, what's missing here? What don't you see in this letter? There's no what? You're right. What do you, give me the, what do you mean by that? I, you're right. <laughs> exactly. And you know whether it's Peter or Paul's epistles, they all they identify themselves and they identify who they are writing to. Now, by the way, John is not mentioned as the author of this in the letter itself. And like you said, Alan, the normal introduction is not there. But most biblical scholars attribute this to John. Uh, quite a few reasons. Uh, first of all, the style of the writing. They compare, you know, what the Gospel of John was written here. Uh, and they study, the, you know, words that, that were used, phrases that were uh, sort of John-ain in their, in their use over and over again. But also... Uh, a lot of the early church fathers, going back uh, to about 150 A.D., attributed these letters to John. So, again, that's not much of a debate anymore, but we don't, and Alan, you're right, we don't see it here uh, in this particular letter. There's no introduction of who he is or who he's writing to necessarily, uh, but again, uh, it is a letter that John has written. Also, notice here... Uh, John begins that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Um, maybe you didn't catch it at first, but you can't help but miss how uh, similar this introduction is to the gospel of St. John. Here, John says that which is from the beginning. What did John begin his gospel with? Do you remember what it was? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in his gospel that he wrote and the letter he wrote, both refer back to the beginning. Now, this is interesting to me, okay? Uh, Notice what he says. First of all, that which was from the beginning, and I was looking this morning in one commentator, and they uh, they said the question comes up, why would he say that instead of who? And the point the commentator made was, uh, when you talk about Jesus, you encompass his whole being. Not only who he is, but all, all that he did. So all of his miracles, all of the things about would include that. So it includes, it's all inclusive about uh, Jesus Christ. But also, uh, who was from the beginning? Who's the only one from the beginning? God, Jesus Christ, and of course the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting is this. John said, we have seen him with our eyes. We've looked upon him. And our hands have handled. What does that mean? Are you kidding me? No. You're right. Now, first of all, what many don't realize, uh, there was a group of uh, a false teaching called Gnosticism, uh, alive in that. It's still kind of alive today. Uh, but that group taught that uh, God never became flesh. He was only spirit. What's John saying here? He was flesh. John said, we saw him, but what else did he do? We heard him, and one more thing, we touched him. We handled him. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And he says, the word of life. 
I say this quite a bit when, I, when we're studying First Saint John chapter one, and John said in verse fourteen, "The Word became flesh." And you know the thing that's interesting is this: I think John realized the awesomeness of that. The Word of Life and the Word became flesh. And John said, let me say something here. In case you're wondering about this, I didn't hear this from somebody else. What I'm telling you is not secondhand truth. It's what? It's firsthand. Now, by the way, it's interesting. Uh, there in verse 1, John said, which we, the we is plural, he means the apostles, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled the word of life. And then he makes a remarkable statement there in parentheses. For the life was manifested. And we've seen it. We have seen it. Now let me, let me let's take about this for a moment. You remember the night when Christ was arrested? Now we, we know what Peter did and we focus on that. But yet, what did the other disciples do? What did they do? They ran and hid. Why? They were afraid. And let's make them, and also understand they weren't sure either. They weren't sure. But by the time John wrote the Gospel of John and these three letters, was there any doubt in John's mind? No. John said, now listen to listen very carefully. The life was manifested. The life was shown. Now remember, how long had he existed? From the beginning. But John says, that life was manifested, and we have seen it, and now we are declaring and bearing witness of that, and we show you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and the Father showed it to us. Now, folks, don't, don't miss the importance of this and the importance of apostolic authority. God chose those men to reveal himself to in a special way because their job was to go out and spread the good news of the gospel. And if you're going to sell a product, and I, hate to, I even hate to put it in the same category, if you're going to sell a product, what do you have to think about that product? Say it again. Yeah. Now you can sell things you not have faith. You're not going to be very good at it. And they had to know, and I don't, I don't want to be blasphemy here, but because it's more important than that. But they were without a doubt assured of what they were preaching. Now here's what's interesting. Now, by the way, John wants us to make sure we understand. Make sure that we are clear in our mind about the origination of the message they preached, where this came from, the fact that it was not second-handed. And John says, the thing that we saw and the thing we heard, that's what we declare to you. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. We are telling you what we saw and we heard. And he says, here's the reason. We want you to have fellowship with us. 
And he also says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So don't miss that important grouping there. They had fellowship with the Father through Christ. And now John said, we're telling you what we saw and heard, and we're declaring that to you, not a second-hand message. This is what we saw. And John said, we want that to happen so you can have the same fellowship we have. Folks, don't miss the message. John was so excited. And look what he says. We write these things unto you that your joy may be full. What a testimony. What a testimony. Now, by the way, we don't, you know, the, the key truth we're looking at, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It doesn't appear that way in John, First John here. Uh, but it, it is it, it's certainly uh, inferred to, but it's also stated in John 14, which we all know that, John 14, verse 6. But nonetheless, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have to remember, in John 14, he, Christ also declared his union with the Father. And, and again, in verse 6, he said, if you want to go to the Father, if you want to reach the Father, how do you reach the Father? Through Jesus Christ, okay? In fact, he went further and he says to the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. So without a doubt, he declares his union with God the Father. Now, here's what's interesting. <laughs> it's one thing to declare a truth. And, and, and again, I don't, I don't want to be sacrilegious here, but if God says something, it's true, Right? But remember, it's quite another when John says, not only do I want to reiterate that truth, I want to tell you I have seen some empirical evidence. We saw him with our eyes. We ate with him. We slept with him. We traveled with him. We handled him. He had flesh and he had bones. So, John affirms the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, now, by the way, keep in mind the authority of the apostles. Uh, God authenticated who they were, uh, gave them the ability to do divine miracles that can only come from God, and it authenticated their message. Uh, Paul would later, later write that the church is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles. Very, very important because they declared exactly what they had witnessed in the Lord Jesus Christ and what they had witnessed firsthand about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John realized, you know what? God has revealed himself to us through Christ. And now we know him. And John realizes now that they know him, what's their responsibility? Say what, Cheryl? To tell others. That, they, that others might know him as well. Now, here's what's interesting. The mission of the gospel proclamation motivated each of the apostles. And John says, 
it brought us joy to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. And he says it brings us joy because we're helping other people find what? Find joy. Through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting. John is very emphatic here about what they saw, what they heard, who they touched. And he makes it very clear Jesus is what life is really all about. He's the only way to know our purpose. He's the only way that we can fulfill our purpose. And he's the only way we can live with purpose. And John understood that. A life of purpose and joy can only be found through the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. Would you agree or not? Jesus Christ is everything. He really is. He really, really is. And if there is any part at all of our lives that are not saturated with his purpose, we will not have full meaning for life. Christ is our purpose. So again, go back to our opening thought about the proof is in the, the proof is in the pudding. John offers absolute proof, but he also says in this letter, we've got to examine ourselves. Are we just talking the talk? Or are we really walking the walk? Can we recognize things in our life where we know that Christ is making a difference? Do we see Christ shaping our lives each and every day? And folks, we need to live our lives every day displaying the fact that Christ is central to our lives. Let's apply it. Make pleasing Jesus your highest priority. Now, by the way, is that not what the apostles did? Sure they did. Okay, let's, let's discuss a little bit. What, what are some of the things that distracts us from living with a gospel purpose in our life? What are some things that distract us? What are some of the things? Say it again, Wayne. Yeah. That's one of the things. What about our schedules? What's, what's sometimes wrong with our schedules? Say it again, Cheryl. Too busy with what? Stuff. Is that what you said, stuff? Hmm. I like that word, stuff, right? And usually, using your expression, Cheryl, how much of that stuff in any of our lives would be up here, really? Not much. So the world, stuff. Uh, 
What about selfishness? Yeah. And John will address this more you know, as he goes along in his letter. But I know we're saved. We're born again. Does that mean we don't have sinful desires anymore? We know we do, okay? All of those things can hinder living with a gospel purpose. All right, so how can we... How can we infuse our daily walk with more of his purpose? How can we do that? Say it again. Oh, yeah, that's good. Boy, isn't that good? How about uh, setting goals in our walk with God? We like to resist in our life, whatever it is. Uh, I think another thing would be uh, whenever somebody asks us to pray for them, what should we do? What do you mean pray for them? You just nod your head like this, right? And you walk, you walk away, and next week they say, thank you for praying. You think what? Whoever got to. Now, folks, I've been guilty of that, okay? But here's what I found out. Uh, it, it, and I don't do this, but I need to write it down. Somebody told me a long time ago, a dull pencil has a better memory than a sharp mind. I guess that's true. But I try to make it a practice to make sure I make a mental note of that. And then I ask them later on, how did this work out? You know, we prayed about it. You know, how did this work out uh, in your life? So it, these will help us uh, infuse a, a gospel-driven purpose in our life. All right, so number one, Christ is the way. Uh, the truth and the life. Number two, walking Jesus' way requires, look at this, holiness and humility. Let's read First uh, John 1, verses 5 through 10. Anybody want to volunteer? Uh, thank you, Alan. I want to point out just a couple of things. In verse 6, uh, John says, if we say, uh, let's see here. He says in verse 6, we lie and do not the truth. In verse 7, if we walk uh, in this light, okay. Uh, let's see here. In verse 8, if we say, uh, again, we have no sin. If we confess, in verse 9. Also in verse 10, if we say. What does the word we mean there? Everyone. And John is including who? Himself. Okay. He is including himself. Now the first four verses, John established Christ as central to their purpose of the apostles and the message they shared. And now John says, look, let me clarify some things here. Uh, 
There are some people out there who are claiming to be Christian, and they're not. They're not walking in the light. And so John says, let me tell you what's going on. And the first thing he tells us, he says, you cannot, well, let me back up for a minute. There was some teaching in that time that says you can have fellowship with God without a holy life. That's what they were teaching. Now, John says he refused that false teaching. He said, if you claim to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, John says, if your lifestyle doesn't match it up, guess what? You're a liar. You don't have saving faith. Now, he also reminds us in verse 5 that God is light. What does light do? Expels the darkness. And we have to remember, well, let me make, let me phrase it in a way of a question. When it comes to sin, does God have exceptions? Or he overlooks it? No. He absolutely does not. And John reminds his initial readers and us that sin is not compatible with the nature of God. And if we are living in his light, if Christ is in us, there will be a change in our life. And we'll spend our life becoming more and more like him. So John says, if you continue to walk in darkness, and there is no repentance, no evidence of change in your life, John says, you're lying to who? Yourself and everybody around you. If that's the way you live your life. So I have a question. I believe that everyone here has been born again. I appreciate that. <laughs> but if we were to ask this morning, everyone here who has not sinned since you've been saved, would you raise your hand? How many hands would go up? Why? We've done that, yeah. So it doesn't mean we will reach a stage of sinlessness in this life. And John's going to talk more about that a little later on. But here's what makes the difference. I don't always please the Father. And I know I don't always live sinless. But I want to. There's a desire in my heart. In your heart. To please the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we haven't attained yet. But we are pursuing holiness. And by the way, that is one of the indicators of true fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says a lot about walking with Jesus. You know it and I know that. How many would agree that walking is an ongoing effort? Isn't that true? And the same is true with repentance. 
Now, thank God the day I was saved, I repented. But I, I think you would agree, I've lost count of how many times I've had to repent since then. It's an ongoing process in our life. Now, I don't repent to get saved over again. Salvation only happened one time. So that, that is not the issue there. But we need to realize, as a Christian, our life is one of consistently striving to turn away from sin and turn toward Jesus Christ. And that's what repentance is really all about. And that's what verse 7 says. That's what it means to walk in that light. So, number one, they were saying, well, you can live for Christ and not be holy. That's, that's not true. Number two, they were saying this. That we can live good enough to become righteous on our own. Is that true? No. And it never has been true. And and John addresses that in verse 8. John says that when you say you don't have sin, John says, uh, or if you don't admit that, um, you don't understand your need for righteousness of Christ to be applied to your life. Now, Here's the thing. Just knowing, knowing about the righteousness of God and of Christ, and, under, and, and applying to our life is two different things. Now, again, I know you know the answer, but does Satan believe in God? Sure he does. Does he believe in Christ? Sure he does. But he hasn't applied that and he won't apply that to his life. And again, there are so many people who don't see a need to, uh, for Christ to apply his right to their life. And they're trying to live up to those things on their own effort. And what they don't realize, you can never do enough. It is simply not possible. And so, keep in mind, Repentance is essential to saving faith. (laughs) So if we think our good deeds could ever be enough to satisfy the perfect holiness of God, who are we fooling? We're fooling ourselves. We can never satisfy the holiness of God. I think it's interesting and what a marvelous truth as well. That even in the Old Testament, God promised to make a way. He promised to make a way for our redemption. And he did that through the promise of the coming Messiah. Now keep in mind, did he fulfill that promise? Yes. He sent a Savior. Jesus came and he paid the penalty for all. He did it by shedding his own blood. And by the way, can you name me one, any unrighteous act that the blood of Jesus cannot cover? His blood covers it all. 
And we don't have to deceive ourselves. We don't have to live in fear and shame. Because of unworthiness. By the way, guess who's unworthy? All of us except for Christ. So rather than living our lives that we can agree with God in His assessment of our sinfulness, but also give thanks that He gives us grace and provides forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we are going to be right with God, we have to acknowledge that our fellowship with God is based entirely on what Jesus Christ did for us. Not our own merits, only what Jesus Christ did for us. So let's apply it. We need to do all we can to live life in gratitude for God's love and God's mercy. My question is, where would we be without God's mercy? We'd be lost, doomed for a devil's hell. So first of all, Christ is the way, the truth, and life. Number two, walking Jesus' way requires holiness. Number three, walking Jesus' way requires ongoing dependence upon him. Chapter 2 of 1 John, anybody want to volunteer and read the first six verses? Anybody at all? Thank you, Cheryl. My little children. What does that imply? Endearment. John says, the reason I'm writing is that you would not sin. But what does John know? Say it again, we would. Who would, Cheryl? All of us. But then he says, you need to know something. <laughs> now, it's kind of interesting. Do you real, I think he realizes there are sins that we commit every day we're not aware of. Because we, we still fall so short of God's glory. But I also know there are sins we're aware of. And I remember the first time that I was aware of something in my life as a Christian. I thought, man, I've blown it now. Why would I let that happen? Why? And it wasn't, it was something I said. It wasn't something I did. But I mean, it was like my heart fell to my feet. And I hadn't read 1 John 2 yet. Because John says, if any man sin, we have what? An advocate. What's that mean? 
What now? Yeah. We might call it a lawyer, right? <laughs> an advocate. Wait a minute. We have an advocate with a father, okay, with God. And then John didn't leave us hanging. He says it's Jesus Christ. No priest says, Jesus Christ, the what? The righteous. The righteous. And then John in verse 2 says, and he, Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the propitiation. Boy, there's a big word. For our sins, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. What in the world does propitiation mean? Cheryl? Okay. Say it one more time. Okay. What kind of payment? Oh, it's in full, yeah. Okay. Now, and Paul, you're right. It is a payment. Whatever... uh, They decided to translate the Old Testament into Greek years ago. When they were looking for a word in the Greek for the mercy seat, it's the same word that's translated propitiation here. And so, yes, it does mean payment. But that payment is only by what? The mercy of God. We have an apple with a father. He made the payment. He satisfied the wrath of God only by his mercy, not just for us, but the sins of the whole world. And then John makes a very clear statement in verse 3. Here's how we know him, how we know that we know him. Look what he says. If we keep his commandments... So what's John saying? An evidence of knowing him is what? Keeping the commandments. And in case we didn't understand that, John says, if you tell me you know him, if you yell it as loud as you can, if you don't keep his commandments, John says, what? You're a liar. You're a liar and the truth is not in you. Then he gives the assurance there in verse 5 that those who keep his word, John said, the love of God is perfected. And he said, that's how we know we are in him. And then he says this, if you say you live in Christ, then you need to conduct your life to walk the same way he walked. To live like He lived. So the conclusion here is this. If you say you belong to Christ and you don't keep God's commandments, what does that tell you? You're not. You're deceiving yourself. You're lying to those around you. And if you're not living your life the way God says live it, you are not born again. And my friend, the Bible says we can know. 
We can know. And later on in the letter, John said, if you have the Son, you have life. If you do not have the Son of God, you do not have life. How much time I got left, Jason? Two minutes. Let's apply it. We need to, need to every day trust in Jesus Christ, now hear me well, for our righteousness. We need to do it every day. Now, why do we need to trust Christ for his righteousness? Why not use my own righteousness? Yeah, I don't have it. And what I have is filthy rags. It is not good for anything. So live, not just talk. Keep his commandments every day of our lives. Let's stand together. Next time we're going to have a few different selected scriptures. We'll be in First John again, verses chapter four for a while, verses seven through nineteen, in Psalm forty, Ephesians two, and Romans five, and we're going to find out what real love looks like. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for the clear precepts and principles. And Lord, I'm so glad that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether or not we are born again. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless each one.